Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to be doing it by looking at Matthew, which is one of the first Gospels we see in the the Bible. Uh, at least the Gospel as the good news of the New Testament. And uh, we're all the way up into chapter 11. Chapter 10 was really kind of decrees of the king to his disciples who became apostles. And uh, he was explaining certain things to them. Of course, they named 12 apostles in the first part of that chapter, which we've gone through, and gave you a little bit of a look into it. We don't know really a great deal about every single one of the apostles. Uh, we have a lot of preconceived notions about, you know, like who is the head of the church. Well, of course, Christ is the head of the church, But uh, there was a statement, and we'll see it as we go through the Gospels, where Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because you know this not by the knowledge of men, but by my, you know, by the Father in heaven, by divine revelation. You didn't know it because you studied it in a book. You didn't know it because you read it somewhere. You didn't know it because somebody told you that you had this divine revelation and you just came to that knowledge. It's kind of amazing that Jesus is going around doing all these things and people do not even know who Jesus is in this whole story of the Bible from Adam and Eve to Revelation. Who Who is this Jesus? How is he this pivotal point? And certainly he is very... Important. There seems to be all kinds of prophecies in the Old Testament about his coming, and that. Uh, but I, I, I'm really I, a lot of people don't understand exactly what he was doing, and so the, hopefully when we go through the Gospels, you'll get a, a deeper understanding of what he was doing. But when Simon is called a rock, and it, it says that I'm going to build my church on this rock. It doesn't necessarily mean that Simon's going to become a pope, which pope, of course, is the word for papa in, in uh, the Latin and Italian. And uh, so it would be calling Peter father. But Jesus also says in the gospel, call no man on earth father, using the word patri, which is where you get popa, papa. It's a more affectionate way of saying father. But Jesus wasn't talking about the vocabulary. He was talking about a principle. And really what he didn't want you to do is is uh, start creating uh, certain people that you had more respect for because of their title of patri or patronus or conscripti patri or popa or pop. He doesn't demand your respect because of a particular title or poor in the Old Testament. It says that uh, 
We're not to be a respecter of the poor, and and nor of the rich, or of the person who holds a high office. They were all equal in the eyes of God, and that's the way we should look at one another, being able to converse one with the other. Each of us individual identities. The only institution that God created at the beginning was the family. And the family was this unit. It was two or more people gathered together for a particular purpose, which was the family, the the continuation of the family, in the process of meeting one of God's first commandments to, you know, increase and multiply, be fruitful and multiply. And the unit in which we best do that is the family. And if you have a breakdown of the family, you have a breakdown of the increase of mankind. And of course, there's a lot of people out there today, specifically in our time, that wants the numbers of the people in the planet to decrease because they've accepted a lie. And and that lie is, is that we can't sustain 7 billion people or 8 billion people or 10 billion people. Of course, it started with back when we had like 4 or 5 billion people. People thought, oh, we, we, we'll all be starving to death in a few years because there's too many people. And of course, that didn't happen. And then so then when there was 5 billion people, they came up with that story again. Well, we won't be able to have 6 billion people. We'll all be starving to death. We'll run out of natural resources. But that didn't happen. And then, oh, we can't have, you know, 7 billion people, etc. And that didn't happen. Now, we may run out of resources pretty soon, but it's not because the resources aren't here. It's because nobody's taking them <laughs> and accumulating those resources. We may all start starving to death because, not because we couldn't produce enough food, but we have the breakdown of the family. It's the breakdown of the family. That unit, that sacred unit of God that is destroying the fabric of society because that's how you weave the fabric of society is through the families. And of course that's how the kingdom of God worked back in the days of Moses is that ten families got together and they picked a Levite minister. And that Levite minister had certain qualifications that he had to meet. He couldn't just be a Levite. There were instructions that went along with being a Levite. And you would pick that Levite and he would provide certain services. He would serve the tabernacles of the congregation. The word tabernacle there is just the tents of the congregation. And tents of the congregation in the early days, the tent was symbolic of the family. Because the family was in a tent. I mean, you can go back to... uh you know, uh, Isaac and Jacob and, uh, and, uh, you'll see that, you know, he, when Isaac got married, he moved into the tabernacle of his mother. Now, why did he do that? Well, that was because, well, I won't go into all that detail. We'll get too far off and, and we do have a number of verses to go through in Matthew, but we, we've covered that in other places. But the tabernacle is, or the tents of a, of someone was representative of that corporate family unit. 
And of course I just described a family as two or more people gathered together for a particular purpose, although they're generally gathered together genetically. But through adoption, somebody could come into another family who is not genetically immediately related to that family. And yet they will become a part of that family. And they will become heirs to that family. And that was, that was one of the things that was absolutely essential is that the, the sons would be heirs to their father's estate. And it would pass from generation to generation. The kingdom of God was from generation to generation. That, that concept is repeated over and over again in the Bible. Because that's the unit. But if you break down that family, if men and women don't stay together, and they divorce, and they, they don't take care of their children, and they abandon their children, they abandon the responsibilities to their children, the family begins to break down. And with that family breaking down, society will break down. And one way of calling breaking down would be to de- degenerate. To degenerate the social bonds of one family to the other would break down society. And as society breaks down, rulers, tyrants, despots rise up and take control. And the people find it very difficult to do without the ruler, do without the tyrant, do without the autocratic government that exercises authority. Because the whole of society, the fundamental seed of society is breaking down. So evil is constantly coming in, as well as people with a tyrannical heart, despotic heart, and wanting to break down the family. And, and of course, nothing breaks down the family more than social welfare through the state. We know that historically. We can go back thousands of years. We can go back a few decades. And you can look at the, the black community. Before the great society of LBJ. And we will see that the black community was actually doing pretty good. Even though there was certainly some laws against uh, blacks uh, achieving certain social statuses in some areas of the United States. But they hadn't been around all the time. If you look at the black community immediately after the Civil War, you know, I mean, the the entire nation was in trouble because, uh, especially the South, because there had been generals that came through and was just burning it to the ground. The economy was devastated. Crops didn't get planted. whole nation was fighting each other. And uh, things got really bad. But things started getting better as people started to set aside the the drums of war and started taking care of one another. But there was no social welfare through the state. The people just had to learn to help take care of one another. And the black community had to do the same. And you'll find all kinds of stories of blacks rising more quickly in society. Becoming more successful in society all over the United States, including areas of the South. Because 
And, and one common theme you'll see is strong families. They had stronger families than some of the white communities in the black community. They had to have that. You were more likely to be raised by two parents of your origin when you were slaves in the South than you are today. The families were stronger then, actually, even going back 10 years, 20 years, the black family was stronger in in the time of slavery and certainly after slavery than they were in the 1960s and 70s. But they got decidedly worse family, uh, you know, experienced family degeneration in the days that followed the Great Society of LBJ. Because he targeted the black community with legal charity, with government-supplied social welfare. And that has devastated societies for thousands of years, wherever it crops up. I mean, 150 years before Christ, Polybius wrote that when people become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, they will institute the rule of force and violence. What by force and violence they mean? The government taking away from one class of citizens to give to another. Because it goes on to say that that will degenerate society. Degenerate the social bonds of society. And the community will find once more a monarch and a king. They will go back under despotism. That That is a fundamental principle of psychology, of society, of the nature of mankind. And that's why God made it so important to emphasize the family. And the breakdown of that family makes it so that almost anybody can come in and start issuing edicts and commands and people will have no resistance to it. No way to stop these edicts and commands. Force you to... Do all sorts of things that, you know, even for your medical health, that you wouldn't want to do. Uh, change the food that you eat. And you want to eat better food, but you'll have no way of getting at that better food because you're a divided flock. You, you, you've become a divided society. You're no longer doing what Moses said. You're no longer doing what Christ said. You're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and taking care of one another. And of course, this is what was happening before John the Baptist in Judea. Herod was ushering in these same ideas of legal charity that was supported by government treasuries that were filled by the contributions of the people, not through charity, but through some form of taxation. It might be a voluntary taxation where you sign up and you say, well, I'll pay in a percentage of what I produce in order to fill the coffers of the government and then the government will take care of my parents when I uh, they get older. And of course, that's what Jesus says that because they instituted this system of Corbin by the Pharisees and Herod that sons did no more ought for their parents. Because they gave at the temple and now it was the temple's responsibility. Well, that's not honoring your father and your mother. That's honoring the temple. 
But it's not honoring your father and the mother. But of course the temple's not alive. It requires men to be in there working. Holding office in a temple. A stone temple. With a treasury. Something that even David started to build. But then put off. Because he repented. Because it was never intended to be a stone temple. Now I see a lot of people you know, wanting to see the, the stone temple built again in Israel, the nation over there in the Middle East. It calls itself Israel. And they want to build a temple there and start the daily sacrifice. Except in the prophecy, that's not the temple they're talking about. They're talking about this, the temple that Jesus was building. He was building of lively stones and living stones. Living altars of stone. And of course, it is our contention, we have articles and audios and books to support this, that the original altars set up by Abraham and set up by Moses were living altars. Now, they they did build stone altars, but they were symbolic. They They were kind of a landmark. The same as, you know, the original temples, the original idea of a temple, if you go back in ancient history, was not a building. It was an area. And they would go to that area and they would do the job of the living stones of a temple. They would take offerings and they would give it to certain men and those certain men would distribute it amongst society. So society was more than just the people in your little local village. It became thousands of people because you had this network of charity. And this is what John the Baptist was starting to recreate because they had gotten away from the network of charity and created central treasuries, which Jesus will talk about. But now Jesus is picking these apostles, these disciples, after being blessed by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, and we'll see it in this next chapter, doesn't even know Exactly who Jesus Christ is and what he's going to be doing. And we'll see later on, Paul comes across disciples of John the Baptist who don't even know who Jesus is. This is Paul way after the crucifixion. Because everybody didn't, they they couldn't pull it up on Google. <laughs> well, tell you the truth, there's a lot of things you can't pull up on Google today. Because of censorship. But there isn't censorship in the kingdom of God. Because God wants you to have the conversation. I just did a another podcast with somebody and we'll release it on our network in a couple of weeks. He says it'll be available in a couple of weeks, maybe four weeks at the most. And because uh, I was a guest on his show, Ed Slover. But uh, you won't hear that on our podcast if you only listen to our show through Keys of the Kingdom podcasts, which are available to all kinds of podcast servers. But you won't hear that show. You'll only hear it when we release it out through our network, which you can get it, become a member of. I noticed there were several new members this week in different parts of the country, Oregon, Texas, I think. I can't even remember them all. Uh, there are other people, because we're a network, other people keep track of that. One person can't keep track of that. But one topic that came up in his show and will come up in future shows because we're going to cross this as we go through the Gospels 
is that we're not to be respecters of persons, which I just mentioned. And those persons are offices. Because in the kingdom of God, we're all equal. And those that are in the hierarchy of the church established by Christ, which Christ talks about, he says there, he is to be, who is to be highest amongst you is to be servant to all. And, you know, your, your servant respects Christ and serves Christ in pure religion. Pure religion is the fulfillment of your duty to God and your fellow man. It's not, it's not, the duty to fellow man is not imposed upon you by contracts, covenants, and constitutions. Nor do you impose it upon them through the same means. But it's imposed upon us by God who is a God of love. But people through sophistry have twisted things around so you think the altars were stone and that we have to build a stone temple and that that, that charity through the government is actually charity but it's only legal charity and it's actually breaking us down as a society. And that's what we need to repent. And that is what John the Baptist was seeing that we were not to take care of one another through force but take care of one another through charity. And again, the, the Greek word for charity is the Greek word for love. And the Greek word for love is the Greek word for charity. Although Greek has another word for love too. But those same words, mostly when Jesus says it, uh, we'll, we'll see the word love. But a lot of times when Paul says it, they'll translate it charity. But it's the same word. So you have to have that and you have to practice that daily. And that's what pure religion is. Impure religion is indulging in legal charity. Charity from men who exercise authority. So Jesus is already talking about taking the kingdom away from the Pharisees. And he's going to appoint it to those that bear fruit. And now he's explained to his 12 apostles, apostles, his disciples, who will become the apostles. Exactly what that is. And anybody who wants to become a minister needs to read that. That uh, Matthew 10. Because these are instructions for them. And explaining their job. And he will further explain this as we go through chapter 11. But he's going to explain a lot of times in parallels. Uh, and, and parables. Uh, and, and there will be a, a parallel connection between... Those that are served and those that provide the service. And in reality, it's a mutual parallel of service. The, the congregation serves the minister by giving him the support that he needs to come back and serve the people. But they can't be just serving their little isolated congregation, their isolated denomination, they, we are to be priests to all nations. So it is absolutely important that we become this network of charity, which is the antithesis of the social welfare systems of the world. That we're in, but not of. And we're not of it because we're not applying to it. And And many people are of it now because they've signed up, their parents signed up, their grandparents signed up, and they're a part of that system that operates by force. They've instituted the rule of force. And because of that, they have degenerated. And the 
the black community that's degenerated because LBJ targeted them for this new system of social welfare that he didn't actually start. He just magnified it. FDR really got it going. But it was actually in the works even before him. You can go back to 1913. Uh, elements of that were already in place. But anyway, we'll be right back and we'll continue this on Case of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, like I said, we'll get right in here to Matthew 11. And we see in the very first verse, And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in the cities. And so... Uh, the, the particular word that he uses here in commanding is diatasso. And you can go to our uh, article on commanded because uh, there are several words that are translated as if they com- commanded. Uh, this one actually is also translated uh, appoint. And uh, uh, several times, numerous times, appoint and ordain. And so... What he was doing is setting out the rules for his ministers and uh, getting them to go in a particular fashion, in a particular way, so that they would understand uh, the kingdom. Because the people were in error. And, of course, that error included, uh, you know, what we see in Second Peter 2.15, uh, which have forsaken the right way. And are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Well, the heir of Balaam is the heir of the Nicolaitans, and we'll see that mentioned in Revelation two fourteen uh, through seventeen. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that. Hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. That's idolatry, right? To eat things sacrificed unto idols. Well, Colossians tells us that uh, covetousness is idolatry. So whenever you see idols and idolatry, we're talking about something that is involved with covetousness. And he says, when they do that, when they eat things sacrificed unto idols, they actually are committing fornication. How how is that fornication? Well, you have to begin to understand the symbols that all these things were put down, like like altars. Are altars just piles of rocks? Stones? Unhewn stones? That, that's, to call it an unhewn stone is an unregulated man. He's not controlled by all kinds of regulations except for the basic precepts of nature that was put in place by God. But in verse 15 he goes on to say, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? 
So he's he's equating these two, Balaam and Nicolaitans, which things I hate. So it's the deeds of the Nicolaitans which we see elsewhere that God hates. And in verse 16 he says, repent, think differently. Turn your thinking around. We're not to go the way of the Nicolaitan, the way of idolatry, the way of covetousness. Because that's a stumbling block. You see, when FDR created the social welfare system that was going to take care of your parents, so you no longer had to do anything for your parents with Social Security, he was creating a stumbling block. He wasn't making you do anything. He was just creating a stumbling block. And a lot of people preached against it. Said it would lead to the mark of the beast. the And the number of the beast. And now every country all over the world has a similar system. And most of those systems are tied together by treaties. And you're a member of that system. And without the number they give you, you can't hardly get into the marketplace anymore. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. So, you know, when we're reading this, when he talks about, in verse 16, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it. Well, that's actually a a play on some things that were happening long before Revelation was written, but was written by other men. That if you got baptized into the system of Corban, set up by the Pharisees in conjunction with Herod, so that Herod could end up building the temple, you would be baptized into this system offered by the Pharisees and they would give you a white stone and they would carve a Hebrew name in it with Hebrew letters. And that name in Hebrew letters, each of those letters represents a number. And then you would be registered according to that Hebrew name. You might go by another name, but that Hebrew name is what you're going to use to say, yeah, I'm a part of the temple of Herod and I want, I need benefits. You know, I I got injured, I got whatever, I need to be taken care of. I'm old, I'm elderly, I need to be taken care of. You know, and that's when we'll see later on in John when the blind man's parents are actually questioned about the blind man who now sees, claiming that Christ gave him his sight, they're saying, well, you know, if this guy is follower of Christ, he gets kicked out of the temple. That was already established. It establishes that in John. And they're afraid, well, if we speak up for our son, we may be kicked out. So they said he's old enough to speak for himself. You just have to talk to him. Because they didn't want to get kicked out. Because they were dependent upon that system to take care of them. And they were afraid to be without that system. But the blind man who now sees, he says, oh no, I, I can't profess anything different. I was blind, now I see. And, and 
that was the guy who gave me my sight. And then we, we see a scene later when he gets kicked out. Jesus comes and finds him. And he asks him, does he believe? And he says, yes. But he didn't know what Jesus looks like. And so Jesus has to tell him, I am him. And then he became a follower of Christ. Now he was kicked out of the system of the world. He was still in the world. But he wasn't a part of the social safety net set up by the Pharisees and Herod. Who was, which was also supported by Rome. Which we explain in Thy Kingdom Come. We show you how grain shipments would come to Judea. And they were able to redistribute the bread amongst their own people. Because Judea was getting to be a part of the Roman welfare system. The whole nation was getting to be a part of it. But only those that were registered with the temple. And of course, some people didn't want to be registered with the Jewish temple. And Herod knew this, so he built another temple. Most people don't know that either. That he built the Temple of Roma. Operated very much along the same lines. But they used other traditions that were decidedly not Jewish. Not not coming down through the Old Testament. But I mean, it was the Temple of Roma, so it had Roman traditions in it. But you were still a member. And you still had to pay in. And they had a system to make sure that you paid in the proper amount according to what you produced. Every time you caught fish, every time you produced grain, every time you made money. I mean, even in the the marketplace, there was a sales tax. And there were guys going around, oh, there was a transaction there. I get a portion of that transaction. And if you got caught cheating, you might be dragged away. (laughs) But that was the system that they were creating back then. But that was the system of the Nicolaitans. That was a covetous system where you desired benefits at the expense of your neighbor. I mean, you can go to Jude one eleven. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. That's the kind of city-state that Cain created. And ran greedily after the heir of Balaam. There's that Balaam again. For reward. What kind of reward? The reward of unrighteousness. The same word you see up there in wages of unrighteousness in Second Peter 2.15. It's also translated reward. And perished in the gainsaying of core. These are spots. In other words, they're not unspotted pure religion. Pure religion is unspotted by the world. And the word world there is constitutional order or system of government like the government of FDR, the government of LBJ. You're not, you're, you're, there's spots in your feasts. You're getting some of the charity that you get. Your feasts of charity are not real charity. They're legal charity. They're charity that come from men who exercise authority. When they, they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, Clouds they are, without water, carried about of winds. And, and that's one thing we see today. You know, the media just shifts the whole mind of the people one way or shifts the whole mind of the people the other way. That's a clear sign that people don't have standards. They don't have, they think they do. But their standards shift with the wind. 
you know, it's kind of a joke. If a Democrat didn't have a double standard, they'd have no standard at all. Because they don't seem to have any standards. I mean, if you look at, if you look at them over history, of course now somebody who is a Democrat is not going to like that statement. I could probably say the same thing about Republicans. It's just more obvious lately amongst the Democrats that they don't seem to have any standard. And, and a lot of people that were Democrats are starting to shift to Republican. But your salvation is not Republican or Democrat. Your salvation is in repentance. Thinking differently. Entirely differently. And so the, it talks about this carried about with winds. Trees whose fruit withereth. Without fruit. Twice dead. Plucked up by the roots. But uh, anyway. We'll get back to uh, Matthew. We've, we, so we see this. You know, that he had been talking to his apostles, setting out the what he is ordaining them to do. Now he's going to go out and start preaching in the cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison that the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples to talk to Christ and said unto him, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Because John the Baptist didn't really understand that. I mean, he knew his cousin. He knew his cousin was a better man than he was. And when he was saying he is the one to come after me, this is this is so obvious to me, you know, reading it even in the English. Of course, now I've kind of cheated. I went and looked at it in the Greek. But, um, and also I have the background that we're sharing with you and we shared with you in the earlier, uh, you know, where, where John the Baptist was coming from. And now we're sharing more of the pieces of the puzzle. You just can't get all this in one sitting. But you can, if you have the Holy Spirit with you, you'll begin to have those ears to hear. But uh, he was thinking that Jesus would follow him in his position. He was already a a priest because his father was a priest and his father was killed in office. And if you respect that office, (laughs) then John is the replacement. But John was doing something different than the priests that were sitting in the seats of Moses were doing. But by the technicality of the law of Judea, of the law of Israel... John the Baptist was the guy to go to. There was no legitimate Sanhedrin. There was no legitimate high priest. Except in the minds of some people. And of course, eventually that would be Caiaphas. Which we'll talk about more when we get to Caiaphas. But, uh, because a lot of people don't understand Caiaphas. They give him a bad rap. And, you know, he made mistakes, but, you know, God is this is the God of forgiveness. But they asked Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus answered him uh, in, in one of the frustrating answers that Jesus commonly gives because he wants you to yearn for the kingdom. But he says, Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again those things which ye, ye do hear and see. The blind receive his sight, 
and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So he didn't say that he was the one. He he said, what do you see? So we have to kind of look at that too. So we look at the modern church and the modern church has delivered the whole world back into the bondage of Egypt. On their watch, you know, all these different denominations have delivered. I mean, what was the bondage of Egypt? You didn't own your land. We have articles that show you the legal things. I, I presented them to lawyers who write law books in Washington, D.C. and and my own father who wrote law books and was considered a genius in the law. And he said, I'm right. But they're not going to like me. Why? Because I'm telling you the truth. They didn't like Jesus because he was telling you the truth. But, you know, I'm old enough that I'm going to tell you anyway. Of course, I, I've, I've been doing that since I was seven. <laughs> telling you what I think. But uh, whether you want to hear it or not, that's what's going to be important to you. And so anyway, he goes on in uh, verse 6. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Because they, they were offended by John the Baptist. He wasn't doing all these things. He was following the vow of the Nazarite. He wasn't, you know, uh, you know, doing all the things that the vow of the Nazarites include. But Jesus was considered this guy from Nazareth. He was considered a Nazarite. But remember earlier when it said that he left his, his city, his, his, uh, where he was from. He went out of the Nazarene community. And he's certainly doing things that would not be considered orthodox in the Nazarite, the Essene Nazarites. And, and we'll we'll touch on that. But I mention it here so that when we we see him doing some of these things, what he's actually showing you is what those symbolic rituals actually mean. You know, a, a Nazarite is not to even go into the same room as a dead person. Yet we see Jesus going into a room of a dead person. And they're saying, that, you know, we'll see in several of the Gospels where people try to stop him because, you know, she's dead. Don't go in there. Because they see it as a, a, a violation of the vow of the Nazarite. But he says she's not dead. She's just asleep. And they, they laugh. They think, no, she's dead. No, no, not to Jesus. Because he knows what real death is. It's not the death of the body. It's the death of the soul. And of course... We're going to unveil here as we go. I mean, it's unveiled already, but we're going to try to lead you so that you can see it. But you're not going to see it unless you have ears to hear and eyes to see. To try to bring this together. And this is what the gospel is trying to do, is show you that it isn't about the stones. It's about the lively stones. It's not about the dead bodies. It's about the dead souls. Because according to Jesus, there are people walking around burying their fathers and they're dead already. Not their fathers, them. The one doing the burial. Let the dead bury the dead because they're already dead in their spirit. So he's showing you 
where the real power of life is. And people say, well, I don't know. This is kind of all confusing to me. Yeah, but the blind see, the lame walk, the leopards cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. So what is that telling you? He knows something about this law of nature and nature's God that we're not aware of. But he wants to make us aware of it. He wants to show us. He wants us to follow the way of the Holy Spirit. He wants to eat of the tree of life, not the tree of knowledge. Because he's destroying what they think. He's doing the opposite of what they think is the ritual that saves us. The ritual does not save you. The Spirit giveth life. The letter killeth. You know, you hear me constantly referring back to all these little statements that are made. But I'm trying to tie them together because this is one single gospel. One single message. Blessed is he, whoever shall not be offended in me. Because they were offended in John. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitude concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? No, that's not what John was. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiments? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. But what went ye out to see? A prophet? A prophet isn't someone who just tells you the future. He tells you the truth. Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, more than somebody who just tells you the truth. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Greater than John the Baptist. The greatest man born of woman, but the least in the kingdom of God. In other words, or the kingdom of heaven. The people that are actually entering into the kingdom of heaven, have to be born of spirit. Of the Holy Spirit, not just spirit. Because there's a lot of spirits out there. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. How do you know you're born of the Holy Spirit? Well, then you can go read our article on born again. Because we don't read that in the context of one verse. We read that in the context of the verses all around that statement and of the gospel itself. Because there's a way to tell. And you're not born again because you had an emotional experience on a certain day at a certain time. Now, that may change your life around and turn your life around a little bit, but you're not born again. If you're still doing the things that it says right there in that gospel. If you're still doing this, works of iniquity, etc., etc., you're not born again. Because when you're born again of the Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit, you can't do those things. And so every time you find yourself doing them, you, you know you got a little bit more burning to do. A little bit more birthing to do. Because <laughs> you're trying to birth with the Holy Spirit of God. You're trying to get closer and closer to the tree of life. 
And it's hard to get close to the tree of life because you know when you, there's a big light there at the tree of life. And when you get into that light, you not only see all the bad things of the world, you start seeing the bad things in your own heart, in your own mind. A lot of people don't want to see that. But humble men are willing to go the whole way and not turn back. You turn towards the light, got to keep going. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. And I have a couple of Greek words there in the text. If you're reading along at uh, preparing you, I think I'll put parentheses around them uh, so that people don't get confused by them. But there are links to the actual definitions of those words. But what he's saying is this kingdom of heaven, again, when you see that kingdom of heaven, now most of the time it's the same as kingdom of God. Because God made heaven and earth. But specifically, if you were looking at it in the Greek, it would be, Kingdom of the world, because, and we have an old explanation about that. You can go look it up under Kingdom of Heaven. But, uh, I mean, modern Greek scholars would say that that word is best translated, some of the top modern Greek scholars best translated world. Because what Jesus is bringing is the new world order of God. Now, of course, there's men out there who want to be gods over you, and they're bringing the new world order of men. Who are not gods, but think they're gods. <laughs> they think they should make all your decisions for you and rule over you. And, and they shouldn't. But that's what they're doing. But they were trying to establish it by force, like Julius Caesar, like Augustus Caesar. But John the Baptist was trying to do it, not by force, but by love and charity. Real charity, not legal charity. But we'll have to continue this when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom after a brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, we're in uh, Matthew 11, and we're all the way down in verse 12. We were going through that, and th- this verse 12 is, is similar to what you will see in uh, Luke 16:16. 16, 16. The law of the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. Every man presseth, and, and the word there is biazo into it. Well, that word biazo is seen in this verse 12 of chapter 11, but it says, it didn't say presseth, it says suffereth violence. And of course, what what they're talking about, and the violent, the biastes, take it by force. And the word their force is harpazo. And I have links there to the definition. So you can kind of follow along. Everybody doesn't have to learn Greek, but basically this is what Polybius was talking about, is that people either tried to do, to find the kingdom of God through the righteousness of God, 
which requires that we do not covet our neighbor's goods. We don't take a bite out of our neighbor. We don't, we don't want to hire men to go to our neighbor's house and take away from our neighbor so that we can have a, a secure life or a more pleasant life or a more comfortable life or a, a softer life. Like it was saying up there, you, if you're looking for somebody, you know, wearing soft things, that's in the king's house. Uh, th- that's in the rulers who exercise authority. Life is hard in the kingdom. There's a burden with it. We'll see Jesus talking about that. But compared to the burden that they will eventually put on you, his burden is light. Now, it will start out where it seems like it's really good and, you know, like we get all this welfare and everything, but then they break down society more and more and more because they institute the rule of force and violence, which, again, like I said, goes back to Polybius. That once you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others by taking away from others through through covetous practices, through idolatry, you will become weaker and weaker. You'll degenerate because you institute this rule of biazo, violence. And those people who are okay with violence, biastes, beasties, <laughs> if you want to call them, uh, they want to take it by force. Go back to Rome. Rome was a republic for 400 years. And then in that last 500 years, that last 100 years of the 500 year period, they went from a republic to an empire. Now, they were already coming to great society in many ways, but there were also elements within that society, elements of that world that were breaking them down. And we see it with with a number of things. We've gone through a whole series on talking about Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar and showing you what they did, how, you know, like I said, Julius was a priest. And then he left the priesthood to become a general. But he knew the way to the hearts of the people was through the priest. But why? Because religion was an ideology? No. Religion was the taking care of the needy of your society. You can go to the Teutons. You can go to the Gauls. I mean, they had a certain amount of superstition in their religions. Almost all religions end up... Because it's natural for men who don't understand things to turn religion into a little bit of a superstition. Now, this, this changes in degrees when you're with this group or that group, and, and we can talk about that individually. But the main definition of religion just 200 years ago in, in, in your dictionary was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. The only place in the whole Bible that it talks about the word religion being a good thing is when they talk about pure religion. And that was the care of the widows and orphans, you know, the needy of your society, which usually is the widows and orphans, you know, where their family has broken down, you know, the father died or got injured or whatever, and or they fell on hard times or they got robbed or their house burned down. You had to have some way of helping them out, and religion was the way you did it. But it was only pure religion if it was unspotted by the constitutional order and systems of government. You weren't going to men who exercised authority one over the other to get the need, the needs that you needed to have met because you were, fell on hard times. You didn't do that. Of course, every Christian should know. Every preacher should preach to you 
that we were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles at the time of Jesus Christ. You know, like Caesar, like Corinth, like a lot of these other city-states that had men who exercised authority and forced the offerings of the people to take care of the needy. We weren't to, we weren't to be that way. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because that's not the way of the kingdom. That's the way of the world. And if you go that way, your religion is now spotted. Your religion is now the way of the Nicolaitans. Your, your religion is now, you know, the covetous practices of idolaters. Now, your preachers should have been telling you this. But they haven't all been telling you. Some didn't know. Some don't have ears to hear. Some were told something else and they could see there was good in what Jesus said. But they didn't want to know the whole truth. Or they weren't ready to hear the whole truth. But as we see society, the the unrighteous mammon breaking down because Jesus told us the unrighteous mammon would fail. As, as we see that unrighteous mammon breaking down, you know, or, or we see it being oppressive, you know, suffering violence upon it. People's, you know, I, just in Ed Slover mentioned, I'm not real fond of paying taxes. <laughs> and, and of course I, I reminded him, I'm not saying don't pay your taxes. Moses didn't come in and say don't pay your tally of bricks when you're in the bondage of Egypt. No, he said, you know, basically he was saying to seek the ways of righteousness, the ways of God. You have to make your yeses yes. Even Jesus said, be friends with the unrighteous mammon so that you will be more suitable for righteous habitations when the unrighteous mammon fails. Well, if you look out in the world today, we see a lot of things going on that might make us think that the New World Order, I mean, the New World Order has great hopes of bringing everybody under this control, everybody who's left under the control of the new world order. But God has another plan. The question is, what plan are you want to be a part of? You want to be a plan of the evil pharaohs of the world? Or Babylon, Nimrod? Nimrod was a mighty provider instead of God. And he brought a lot of people into Babylon. But Babylon was a city of blood. We have whole articles on what are the cities of blood? They talk about them all the time. In the Old Testament. Almost nobody understands. Well, it's, it's the cities that have gone the way of the Nicolaitans. The way of Balaam. The way of taking a bite out of one another. The way of covetous practices. And, and we've all fallen prey to this lie. That that's a good thing. No, it's a bad thing. And we have to turn around from that. And go the other way. And we may have to start turning around from that. While we're still in bondage. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's a lot to all these details. And we're not going to give them on all these programs. But join the network. Show us that you want to turn around. Show us that you want to come in the name of Christ. Who came to set everybody free. So you have to come together for that same purpose. So the only way to come together with that purpose is to come together in love and charity. Which is why Christ was instructing his apostles that this is what we got to do. Because you have to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. I didn't say that. Jesus did. I'm just quoting the king. In verse 14 he says, And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. Now you can create all kinds of doctrine around that. You know, 
this is what, but this is, you know, and this is why we went through the minor, a lot of the minor prophets first. And we're adding to our studies on Jeremiah and the larger prophets. But it's, time is, you know, sometimes you can hear a clock ticking in the background here on the show. I thought about moving the clock even farther away. I've got it way over on the far end of the wall. But I think there's a subliminal message in that. The clock is ticking. Don't hesitate to seek the kingdom. Turn around. So verse 15. Now we start another little section. You know, uh, this is all in one chapter, but, you know, he didn't write in chapters. People added these chapters later in these verse numbers, but it's a good way to find our way around in here. But uh, this is the section, the piper. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. That could refer to what we just said. That could be up in the other section. Don't think that it's only in this section. But he goes on to say, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? So he's talking about this generation. Where should he liken it to? What should he compare it to? Is like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented. Or John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he hath a devil. And the Son of Man come eating and drinking and they say behold a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. So, now the question is, what what does all that mean? Okay. But wisdom is justified of her children. All children are not children of wisdom. Some children are children of foolishness. They're not going to get it. I wish they did. I pray they do. I hope they do. But I can't change the message to satisfy the children of the foolish. So you have to maybe repent. If you think you're one of the children of the foolish that have been tempted or suckered or deceived, you can point your finger, they deceived me. It's not my fault. They deceived me. That has echoes of Adam in the garden. Adam, what have you done? Not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. No. Mea culpa. It is my fault. I I should have seen this. I believe, and I said this just on Ed Slover's program, that uh, we, we all have the Holy Spirit talking to us all the time, trying to guide us, trying to show us the way. But we run from the light. We close our ears. We don't have ears to hear. Why? Because we're not humbling our hearts. We're not forgiving our neighbors. We're cutting ourselves off from the tree of life. We're running away from it. And of course, modern religion will say, you know, run to us. I don't tell you to run to me. I tell you to run to God. But I also tell you what God said, to come together. In the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Jesus said that. Moses said that. 
Take care of one another. Care about one another. Learn to care about one another. And uh, I, I recently saw, you know, what was, I can't even remember what his name is right now, but anyway, the guy who invaded the Bohemian Grove years ago, Alex Jones. And uh, he was a lot younger guy back then. Still had a pretty rough voice, but, you know, it comes from talking, just like my voice. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, he, they had a play going on there. The name of the play was to kill care. Of course, I had burning an effigy of a small child and all that kind of stuff. Very bizarre stuff. Owls and all kinds of Babylonic symbols and everything. And I mean, you got all the former presidents and congressmen and senators there and all these kinds of guys that go, go. Ronald Reagan had been there. And of course, they have a way, you know, it's kind of like the early Epstein Island kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, but uh, the play's name was to kill care. And of course, that's what legal charity does. You don't have to care about your neighbor. You don't, you don't have to care about the congregation next door. You don't have to care about... You don't even have to care about your parents. You can do no more up for your parents. You know, they got Social Security. They got Medicare. They got Medicaid. You don't have to take care of them. Some of you say, well, I couldn't. I, I wouldn't have the money to afford it. Well, you haven't tried. And try it in the way that Jesus said. Come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that you're a network of charity. That's when the hidden manna comes in that we mentioned earlier. That God will, you know, the prodigal son had to start back. His father didn't go out when he was still, you know, whoring around and, and doing all these bad things. Even when it got bad for him and he was eating the cobs in the pig's thighs. God didn't come. The man had to turn around and try to come back to his father. Then his father ran out and met him. That's the way it's going to be with us. If you turn around, try to go back the way. And we're just trying to show you the way that Christ did it. We're trying to make it easy that you do it that way. All our books are available for free. All the articles are available free for now. But I know the t- clock is still ticking up there. <laughs> so uh, you want to act. Upon that, so that if you've been a child of the fools or the foolish, and, and what is the foolish? You know, the first places where we really see that foolish coming up is when Saul was foolish, and, and his kingdom was not going to stand; it was going to fall because he had done a foolish thing. What did he do? He forced an offering to support the military. Because he saw there was a danger coming. We need to, and Samuel wasn't coming to help. Of course, Samuel's only going to give you what people freely give. You know, it's not like Julius Caesar. He didn't think people were giving enough to the temple, so he went and sold a million Gauls into slavery and killed their husbands first and their fathers first. And then the proceeds from that, I mean, a lot went to his army and to, he actually hired mercenaries in some of his quests in, in Gaul, which were the Teutons, and the Teutons were willing to take the money, come over and man some of his charges. Fascinating story we've talked about before. But eventually, the Teutons would be on Caesar's list because you were creating a beast. And, and it started with Caesar's uncle, and we've explained all that. But you're creating a beast, and that beast is going to go around devouring who it will. And you won't even know it, especially with today's media. 
We can explain it to you. But more important, we only want to explain it to those people. We don't want to cast too many pearls before swine or the foolish children of the world. We we want to share as much as we can with the children of wisdom. The children of wisdom are willing to see, oh yeah, we made a mistake when we went down that road. Well, you've got to go back. You go go back the opposite way that you got here. That's how you find your way back. First, you have to orient yourself where you are. You while you're in the bondage of Egypt, you're back in Babylon the Great again. <laughs> and Nimrod is your mighty provider, but he's only providing you what he can provide you with because he's borrowing against the future of your children. He's cursing. He not only made you human resources with your covetous practice, you're cursing your children every day. And they tell you in the news. Raising the dead ceiling. On who? Not you. You'll be dead. You're raising the dead ceiling on your children. Because you're not seeking the kingdom of God. Because you don't know what the kingdom of God. Because your churches have fallen down in this practice. Now, I'm not condemning them. I'm just telling you like it is. Only God can condemn. But I'm sharing with you the truth as I see it. And I've done my homework. Ed discovered that. <laughs> my grandson was sitting here. He's my technical advisor. And evidently he was texting me during the show. because I'm not reading text. I'm just listening to the guy that's in front of me. But anyway, verse 20. Then began he to abrade the cities. Wherein most of his mighty works were done. Because they repented not. They were seeing what he was doing. But the cities were not repenting. Why not? What was wrong with them? Why, why couldn't they see this? Now, he's saying a lot of things in the Gospels. Most of the people reading the Gospel today will not get because they don't know history. Which is why they stopped teaching history in schools a long time ago. And part of the reason was they wanted to change it drastically. And if they had a whole generation come up that didn't learn any history they could make a drastic change to speed up the process. Now, the process started back in 1908. It really got going, well, partially during World War I, but then, you know, in the 20s and 30s and everything. And we, we cover all that. Schools as tools. You can go read that. We have videos, articles up to show you how. It's something I discovered just by looking at his, uh, school books from... You know, the 1800s on up. I was saying, like, these are changing. Stuff changing. No, they're not finding out new stuff. They're leaving stuff out. What, what What's going on here? And then later on, I came across the Reese Commission. But that's all up there. You can go look at that in your spare time. That's your assignment, for those of you who want to know. So, verse 21. Woe unto the Crosin. Woe unto the Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyr and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So he's dealing with hard cases here. He's saying, you guys a lot harder than you want to admit. Now, the hard-hearted people around everywhere are going to, you know, stick to, the, oh, I believe this and I'm not going to accept, you know, and they're going to think I'm attacking them. And they're not going to like me like like my dad said. You're, you're right, but they're not going to like you. Well, some people aren't going to like me. 
But I'm not doing this so you like me. I'm doing this because I have to. It's a conviction. I, I was born to do this. And God has guided me. Everything I know, I know by the grace of God. And I have to share it freely given, freely give. And so that's why we do it this way. But what you do is going to make a difference to you. It's not not what I do. I can't save you. But God can save you. But you got to repent. you got to turn around. you got to think differently. That's what repenting is, thinking differently. It's not just being sorry. I'm sure at times the devil's sorry. He's just not going to do anything differently. 22. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sodom, Sidon, at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. They would have repented. But God doesn't want you to believe by signs and wonders. And, he, and Christ talks about this. He wants you to believe because you open up your heart to the Word of God in you. Not, not to the Bible. Like I was saying, you, you read the Bible without the Holy Spirit, it will mean nothing to you. It, yeah, it's a revelation of the Holy Spirit. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit when you read it, you have no way of receiving it. It's like having a... You know, you're turning your dial around the 960 mark uh, on your radio and you're not getting the station. Well, that's because it's over on the 1400 mark. <laughs> you're you're di- not dialing in on the right frequency. So you're not getting the message. Well, the frequency of God is love for fellow man. The frequency of God is forgiveness. The freque- frequency of God is the giver of life. If you aren't these things, you're not going to hear the word. So that's why he tells you to come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that you can start being doers of the word. Because then God God will dial you in. You can't. There's nothing you can do to conjure up the Holy Spirit. But there's a lot you can do by not seeing it. It's like the person who looks across and his eyes go up and they come down again and he says, I didn't see anybody in here. <laughs> I got a hundred stories about it. I've actually seen people doing that where they said, I don't, I don't see anybody in here. And you can see their eyes avoiding <laughs> the person who's standing right before them. They don't want to look at that person. <laughs> yeah, we're a strange crowd as human beings. But at 24, but I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and the day of judgment than for thee. Well, it, uh, Sodom was in a lot of trouble. There wasn't anything standing. There was nothing left. So you don't want to be with that crowd. You want to be amongst those who repent. And, but you have to really repent of what you've done wrong. And if your your ministers, your preachers, your media, whatever... They're not telling you what we've done wrong. You're going to keep doing what's wrong and thinking you're right. And Jesus talks about that all the time. The guys that think they're followers of Jesus, you know, he talks about many. 
who think they're followers of Jesus, doing great things in his name. And he says, I don't even know you guys. Get, get ye from me, you workers of iniquity. So what is iniquity? Legal charity is iniquity. Covetous practices is iniquity. Anyway, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. We'll finish this up. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're in verse uh, 25 of chapter 11 of Matthew. And at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Well, wouldn't the wise and prudent already know these things? (laughs) Well, he's talking about people of a different wisdom, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Even so, Father... For so it seemed good in thy sight. Things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son. But the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son. And he to whosoever the Son will reveal him, basically too. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Well, in comparison to what? Well, in comparison to the wisdom of the world. And if we go to the the side panel, I talk about this a little bit more. Wisdom versus foolishness. And I talk about 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 120. Where is the wise? So when they say, talk about wise, and you, we did our whole series on Ecclesiastes, where they're talking about the wise. And there are wise that are wise, and there are wise that are vain and foolish. And, you know, that, that you have to learn to tell the difference. Because a lot of people, the wise who are actually foolish, they still think they're wise. You know, and that they have all kinds of really good ideas that other people say, I don't think that's a good idea. I think that's a bad idea. <laughs> but they're still going to go that way. And well, we got the whole world. Going the way of the foolish. Thinking they are wise in their own eyes. And we, we can say, okay, well, the Democrats, they're so foolish and they're, they, they're so full of themselves and they don't want any other opinions spoken and all this stuff. Well, that same spirit is over there on the other side, too. You know, because of the fact that we hold up these these uh, elements, our, our ethics, our values... And we hold them up and we say, well, this is valuable. And, you know, freedom of speech, that's valuable. That's good. Right to defend yourself, that's, that's good. But if you have huge blocks that you leave out, the, the right of sacrifice, the, the right of choice, if you become a person, 
you know, what would they call, you know, in Archibald McLeish's quote, you become a thing, a person. And uh, because of the fact, and how do you do that? You make the state your father. You make the state the city of blood. The state will bite your neighbor so that you can have more stuff. It will take away from somebody else so that you can have, you know, free stuff. That's not wise. And, of course, that's, you know, when you go on and read in 1 Corinthians one twenty, they say, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? And that word world there is aeon, which means age. The disputer of this age. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Well, that's a different word, world, there. That's the word that means constitutional order or system of government. The wisdom of FDR is foolishness. It was going to destroy this nation. But a lot of people didn't see it because they, you know, like the people of Rome, who got all these wonderful benefits from Julius Caesar. They just turned a blind eye to where he got it from. They didn't want to know where he got it from. I mean, they knew, you know, that he defeated the Gauls. And, of course, there was a narrative, you know, the Gauls attacked us. They didn't, they didn't tell you the whole story. That they were attacking the Gauls who were begging, you know, you know, there's women and children on board are, are, uh, they were moving from one area to the other. They immigrated. There was a lot of forests up there. They go to a different area and they were going to a different area. They weren't conquering anybody. They weren't attacking the Romans and the Romans were sending catapults of firebombs into this wagon train. And they, they, they sent envoys saying, don't, that there's, there's, that's a women and children moving along. We're just moving to another area. And they still did. It wasn't Roman ground. They weren't coming at Rome. And eventually the men attacked to save their women and children. Of course, they weren't, they weren't gathered together very well. I mean, in their small tribes, but they had all this tribal conflict because they didn't understand the principles of the kingdom. And so, Julius took advantage of that. And the world is taking advantage because you're all a scattered flock. You don't come together. You don't know how. Early Christians knew how to come together and they were only 5% of the Roman Empire. And they survived not only the hard times but the persecution that went along with it. But then you're not doing what the early church was doing. You're doing what later churches did. And nobody's teaching you the whole truth of the kingdom of God. They're saying... Yeah, you know, you do this and you do that, and those are good things. And everybody said, "Yeah, I agree with that." But they, it's okay now to covet your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority one over the other through government. Even though Jesus said, "No, it's not to be that way with you. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing." It's and Paul says it's idolatry, and nobody looks at that. They don't think it's covetousness to take benefits from government when they exercise authority one over the other. And so, yeah, that's that wisdom of FDR and LBJ and Obama. It's foolishness. And you've all become a part of it. But you can turn around now, start seeking the kingdom, and we have pages and pages of ways, and, and all kinds of people have been studying this for a long time. 
You just have to join us on the network. Go to Preparing You, join the network links, join in your area, meet up with other people. And with the help of God, you'll figure it out. Not because you're eating of the tree of knowledge, but you're maybe going to spit out or pass out some of that knowledge that you already got that just ain't so. So that you can actually start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness in a righteous way. But, I mean, that clock's still ticking. <laughs> I mean, you just watch the news. I don't know how much time you got left. But I, I know you, you can't afford to waste any time. Because the wisdom of the world is foolish and people have been going the way of the world for a long time. They're not just in the world, they're of the world. They're dependent upon the world. And, and it takes a little humility to admit that we were this wrong. But we were told that people would be this wrong, this confused. Because we're just people. But the, the wonderful thing is, is that we can turn around and seek God. And God can enter into us and make the foolish wise again. We know we're foolish because we wouldn't be in this mess if we weren't foolish. But we can't make ourselves wise. That's vanity. But God can make you wise. Oh, you know, for the moment. <laughs> He's not going to make you wise forever. It's a kingdom of God is always in the moment. First Corinthians 3.19, for the wisdom of this world, again, that's the, that's the constitutional order and system of God, is the foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. So, you know, you didn't craft out all this stuff, but, and neither did your parents. Uh, I don't know, some of your parents might have been a part of it, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of think Bill Gates' parents were a part of it, because Bill Gates, he's a crafty guy. And Klaus Schwab, he's kind of crafty, too. I don't think he's as smart as he thinks he is, but he's crafty. And, you know, there's all kinds of guys out there. Uh, Noah Harari, all these guys, and all the people that follow them. They're crafty. But God is wise, far wiser we just have to go the way that God has laid out for us. And, uh, and yeah, I've picked on some people here, maybe even mentioned some churches, Protestant, Catholic, you know, whatever, you know, whatever denomination, or you can go over into the other religions. And I've upbraided them. But, you know, all I have to do is repent. So what, what do you think they were to repent of? What does it mean to be the cities of blood? Why was Sodom destroyed? You know, people think, oh, it's sodomy. No, sodomy is a symptom. And we have enough of that going on around the world today. But that's a symptom of the problem. The, the effemination of ma- mankind. That's a symptom. What was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Now, oh, the, it tells you right in the Bible. Not everybody's not going to mention it. But the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, we see it in Ezekiel 16.49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her, 
and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. They had a fullness of bread. They had lots of stuff. But there was a lot of idleness. And, of course, we can go into the study on that word idleness and everything. And I actually have uh, a link there on the page at Preparing You so you can go look at an article. But they, their system, where there was abundance of bread, which allowed for idleness amongst the people, which we see in the welfare state, didn't strengthen the poor. It weakened the poor. Like I said, with the black community. It isn't because they're black. It's because LBJ targeted the black, sent people in there. Cloward and Piven sent people in there to get them signed up on as many social welfares as they can. That weakened them. All the immigrants coming in and getting on welfare. That people are saying, oh, it's going to bankrupt us. Well, it is. And that's part of the goal. And if you read our article on Cloward and Piven, you'll see that's the goal is to bankrupt you. Because then you've got to go to the banks. You already don't have any just weights and measures. And you can go out and buy gold and silver, but that isn't the solution. The solution is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It may include that for you and on an individual basis, but it better be the Holy Spirit guiding you in that. Because without the Holy Spirit, you got nothing. Zero. Nada. Zilch. Paul tells us this. Without charity, you got nothing. And of course, that word charity is the word love. And the Holy Spirit is the only one to teach you how to love. Because love isn't just giving stuff away to the poor. I didn't, Jesus isn't telling all those people, come into the kingdom. Because you gave to the poor. Because you gave them food when they were hungry. And you can do that, certainly. But you better be led by the Holy Spirit or you will do the same thing that Sodom did. You'll weaken the poor. You, you won't strengthen them. If you're just giving to the poor. That's not going to strengthen the poor. So, you know, but, it, you know, when he talks about it, and it, it, we'll see it in Matthew 25. You know, he, he goes, these guys come into the kingdom. But it's not just because they gave to the poor. It's because they gave to the brethren. Now, what were the brethren doing? They were doing the will of the Father. Because he who does the will of my Father is my brethren. So, it's that brethren that you should be supporting. And that's your choice. How you, you make that choice. And that's a responsibility. That's what liberty is all about. Rights are responsibilities. Who do you give to? I mean, you can, you can send extra money into, you know, the Democrat Party, the Republican Party, or you can actually start doing what Christ said. He didn't, he didn't say go in there and you know, there were different parties in, in Rome. You could, Romans could go and join this party and they could vote these guys in. I mean, the emperors are technically elected by an electoral college. And, and you go read our article on Rome and you'll see the parallels with what America has done and what Rome was doing at that time. Of course, in early America, it was much different than it is today because we've morphed. But, of course, in the early Republic of Rome, it was much different than it was at the time of Julius Caesar, who never really became the emperor of Rome. That's where he was going, and then a bunch of guys stabbed him. Violent revolution didn't do him any good because they got what they got was worse. But it chugged along for a couple hundred years. 
But uh, I don't think it'll take us that long. Because <laughs> the bigger they are, the harder they fall. But if you repent, start seeking the kingdom of God, start supporting the minister of your choice in the way you choose. In a voluntary society that starts doing all the things that you have depended upon the government to do. With real love in your heart. And you don't even know what real love is. You learn that by doing. I mean, you may have an inkling of it. You may have an idea of it. And there may be some love in your heart. But there's also that other thing where you fear want. You fear loss. And there is no fear in the kingdom of God. That's one of the first things that Christ said, fear not. So, what I've presented today in this chapter, and we'll go on eventually to the the other chapters, you know, uh, which is chapter 12, where he talks about the Sabbath and the Lord of the Sabbath. And, and, And we won't go into it in any great detail, but if you think the Sabbath is about a day, you probably don't have it right. You probably are worshiping the ritual rather than the meaning, the precept of the ritual. Because the Sabbath is about a way. It's not about a day. And and this is what is going to be a constant theme, and has been as we've gone through so many different books of the Bible, is that we want to... People have unmoored the ritual from its meaning, and now they worship the ritual. They worship the symbols of the ritual. And they neglect the meaning, the weightier matters. And so we're constantly trying to bring that up and show you so you know if I'm going to seek the kingdom of God, I don't just seek the rituals, the names, the spellings, the the catechisms, but I actually seek the righteousness of God. Because that's what it says. I didn't make that up. You're supposed to seek the kingdom of God, which is an actual government at hand, where Jesus was the king, making decrees, giving instructions. We're supposed to be seeking that kingdom that took care of all the social welfare for Christians, because they wouldn't eat at the table of Caesar. And and that's why they were often arrested, because they wouldn't sign up for the table of Caesar. At first it was okay, because when they didn't sign up for the you know, the, the, it was called, uh, private religion. Because religion was how you took care of the needy. Private religion was how you did this privately. And there's all kinds of ways to do that today. But the way that Christ laid out is the best. There are some insurance companies that kind of emulate this, but not quite like Jesus. The more you know, the more you can conform to the ways of Christ. But that'll be a daily walk. A daily quest. He says, seek, that's a process word. Persevere, that's a process word. Strive, that's a process word. It's not an instantaneous thing. Now turning around might take a place in an instant, but the rest of it's going to take some time. And actually, I look out in the world today, it's going to take some overtime. <laughs> so anyway, it certainly did with the Israelites when they discovered they were in the bondage of Egypt and Moses is trying to teach them the way out as they realize that uh, we're still going to have to pay our tally of bricks, but we're going to have to provide all the benefits of our society through faith, hope, and charity. And, and not through the leaven. 
which you can go read Article 11. That's a revelation. 11 doesn't have anything to do with the yeast. If you still think that the leaven of the Pharisees has anything to do with the yeast, or the leaven that you're not supposed to have in your uh, in your face, it has anything to do with yeast or baking powder. <laughs> it doesn't. It has to do with whether you have cruelty or love in your heart. So anyway, we're going to look at, in, in chapter 11, we'll look at the Sabbath and chosen servants and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's terribly misunderstood. Uh, you kind of have to look at the word blaspheme. I already have articles up on blaspheme. But anyway, join the network at preparingyou.com. And that's just an email network based on geography so that you won't be getting... Unless you join the group in Australia, you won't be getting the Australian emails. And unless you join the group in Texas, you won't be getting the Texas emails. Uh, but the real living network is when you join a congregation, which is a free assembly. It's not like you, you, you know, now going to get a membership card and all that kind of stuff. Although we may need those things eventually for people. Uh, uh, we already do have uh, forms of ID that we have for church ministers and stuff. But, uh, and we were told that by attorneys in Washington, D.C. that we needed that. <laughs> but what we really, but what I was told by Christ is more important than what I was told by attorneys. What I was told by Christ is that we need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lists us where it wills. And so, Whatever you've been doing to block the Holy Spirit or or not hear the Holy Spirit or not have ears to hear the gospel of the kingdom or eyes to see it, whatever you've been doing, let's stop doing that and let's try something completely different, which is what Christ is actually saying. And the, the last couple of chapters, there was a lot of red letter instructions and there will be in chapter 11. Uh, but... Christ is setting the scene. He's, he's showing you how the kingdom works. And uh, and they talk a little bit about miracles and all that stuff, but you're not seeing them. You don't know if these really happen. Maybe somebody made all this stuff up. And, of course, there will be people that tell you that. I, I don't think they just made all this stuff up. But then you're not supposed to believe me either. The Holy Spirit will tell you what... He's really trying to point to what he's really trying to talk to you about. And uh, hopefully that as we go through the rest of these chapters, you'll learn to set down more and more of the false information that you've already been fed that just ain't so. And you'll start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness which was meant to set the captive free. Christ came that the whole world, and that's the constitutional order and system of government of of Rome, of Parthia, of all the different nations of the world. They didn't all have written constitutions, but uh, a lot of times constitutions are unwritten. But they're the systems that men set up for themselves. And he wants you to tap in to that Holy Spirit And it will guide 
everyone individually, but they will come together because they have one common denominator, and that's the Spirit of God. Because that will make you one people, not a scattered flock. Because that's what's happened. As all the Christians are a scattered flock, all the Muslims are a scattered flock. The Muslims who, and the Buddhists and the Baha'is and, I mean, I don't know all the different names of the different groups. There's one spirit of creation. If we tap into that by whatever name you think you're calling them in your vocabulary of your mouth, that the image of that God is the same. That's one of the amazing things. That's why the the universe is not as chaotic as it as people imagine. It's actually extremely uniform. Life everywhere on this planet is because there is one God of creation, and we need to conform to that God of creation. And that's what we hope for you. And uh, until then, I'll probably just have to say peace on your house, and may God be with you. But see on the network, join with the other people that are already a part of the network. Join a congregation, even if it's a virtual congregation, you know, by phone because you live too far apart. And then start filling in those gaps. Till then, peace on your house and God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.